Hello and welcome back to the Football Roundup, Energy Sports' flagship football podcast. This is the sixth season that the FRU will be broadcast, and for the first time in its existence, it won't have a member of the original cast and its presenting team. Both Gregor Kerr and Jamie Braidwood have moved on to greater pastures as Napier graduates, leaving one of Energy Sports' longest-running podcasts to us lot. My name's Jack Donnelly, and today I'm joined by Struan Garvey, Jamie McIntosh and Sean McGill. So as, as the years have gone by, we've kind of tended to uh, give a give an opening question to the to the co-host. So for an opening question today, we're taking a look at the heartbreak from both the Champions League and the Europa League in the last couple of days, as we saw both Wolves and Atalanta dumped for, out of the competition in dramatic fashion. After discussing how good it would have been to see both teams go on to win in their respective tournament in the preview podcast we did with Cameron, uh, boys, which team have you really felt bad for after a tournament exit? You think a kind of underdog story, it would have been fantastic to go on and see them win it. And kind of watch teams really resonated with you and you've kind of been almost heartbroken to see them get kicked out, especially as a neutral. I'll come to Struan first for that one. Oh, that's a difficult one, that one. There's a, there's a few to choose from. I'm thinking of a couple just now. I, th- I think every every time you watch a World Cup or the Euro or something, you always kind of pick a nation and you just think, oh, go on. I, th- I think... Cl- they weren't exactly underdogs, but Colombia in the 2014 World Cup, I remember with James Rodriguez sure, just actually. turning up incredibly and then the David Luiz free kick and just in tears at the end of it was such a shame because that, that Colombia team, I think, just it just drew a lot of people in because they're not really known as one of like the top nations. You know, you never go into a World Cup and think, oh, it's, it's Colombia's year this time. But I think that team just generated a lot of support from around the world and I thought it was quite upsetting to see them go out to... A Brazil team who would then get seven one by Germany in the semi-finals. Yeah, that that tournament itself just caused that many different shocks. I mean, it it should have catapulted Rodriguez's career, but kind of, I don't really know what happened to Rodriguez after that tournament. He just kind of faded into obscurity almost. Uh, Sean, could you think of a an example for this question? I maybe going a bit left field here, but I was thinking like I think when I was sort of properly properly getting into football I was sort of like eleven twelve. I remember Bradford going on that absolutely crazy League Cup run. We got to the, the final against Swansea, knocked out Arsenal, Aston Villa over two legs in the semi-final. League One at the time, and they're playing in the League Cup final. They like to Andy Halliday and James Hansen in that team. And just to see a team like that from League One go all the way to a National Cup final was pretty astounding. I remember they got absolutely thrashed in the final. I think it was 5 nil or something like that. But um, so it was, aye. It, just, and like, it was like the Mishu season, so Swansea were a decent team. It yeah. wasn't embarrassing by any... But Swansea winning 5-0 in a National Cup final was pretty um, unheard of. And the fact that it was just a wee club like Bradford, who's been a lot through, through a lot in their history, um, that was a story I really remember, and it was gutting to see them absolutely thrashed in that final. I think, was that the Brendan Rodgers days when he was at Swansea? If I remember that right. may have been Michael Loudrup, maybe just a little bit after Rodgers. Right, yeah, I'm getting mixed up there. I think it might have been, but... Yeah, a great Swansea team who are very likeable in their own right, but mm-hmm. just imagine seeing a team in the third division winning the League Cup would be, yeah, amazing. Almost kind of takes you back to Wigan beating City, kind of at the, yeah, start of the start of the decade and then getting relegated the same season. <laughs> I know, yeah. Uh, Jamie, what about yourself? Um, Probably, I've got two, I think, that probably spring to mind. I think Queen of the South played um, played Rangers uh, in a cup final. I can't remember if it was the League or the, the Scottish Cup at Hamden. I think they were beaten 3-0 or something. Um, they had got to the final and they were quite a... I, don't, I think they were in League One at the time. So um, when they got to Hamden to play Rangers, that would have been a quite a shock if they pulled that one off. And um, Gretna, when they got to the final against the Hearts, obviously... 
Um, they'd knocked out Celtic. Or was it Clyde? I think it was Clyde. Sorry, I take that back. It was Clyde that beat Celtic. Um, regretting I got to the final and I think they were in... I can't remember the championship or it might have even been in League One at the time. Um, and obviously it went to penalties. And uh, obviously I was I was there and I wasn't exactly gutted for Gretna, but I think it would oh, okay. it would have been a very good underdog story nevertheless had they managed to had they managed to win that. So I'll go with Gretna actually. That's quite impressive that you've managed to take a story about underdogs and just gone Hearts won the Scottish Cup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those were the glory days, I suppose. It's kind of fortunes have changed. Yeah, we have to give a bit, don't we? Aye. Uh, I, th- I think for me, I always kind of when you think of that story, it was kind of around about the time that I was properly getting into football again. I think like yourself, Sean, about kind of 12, 13 year o- years old. And I remember watching that uh, 2013 uh, Champions League final at Wembley. And I- I'd been watching kind of Dortmund throughout the whole tournament because of how well they'd done. You think of Lewandowski's, I think, four goals against Real Madrid in the, mm-hmm. in the qu- it was a quarter of the semi final, whichever what one it was, to put them into the final. And uh, to see Arjen Robin get the get the winner in something like the eighty seventh minute, it was. I've I've never felt for a team quite like that in all honesty. Uh, a complete underdog story, especially when that Dortmund team really just broke apart after that, because Gotze was already leaving for Bayern. Uh, Lewandowski was due to leave shortly after, and the only kind of mainstay from that team has been Marco Royce, who kind of became one of my favourite players as a result of that season. So, I always kind of remember them fondly for the. The team that never was, I suppose you could say. Uh, but that being aside, we'll get on with today's episode. So today on the menu, we'll be kind of taking a grander look at the Scottish Premiership restart and kind of covering the last three fixtures, discussing the winners and the losers from the first three games. Uh, we'll go, and then later on, we'll go on to have a bit of a discussion on what happened in Europe over the past couple of nights as well. So firstly, we'll start with the team who have really been the only reason that Struan wanted to co- turn up for this podcast today. And is, well, I don't know if beloved's the right word. You've got a kind of bit of a love hate relationship most of the time, Struan, but it's Hibernian. We're talking about Hibs. Uh, the green side of Edinburgh, they've enjoyed a fantastic start to this Premiership season, scoring seven goals in the first three games with new striker Kevin Nisbet picking up a hat trick in his second game for the club in a 4 1 dif- victory sorry, over Livingston. Struan, I suppose, how, just how's it been for you the last couple of weeks as a Hibs fan? It must be quite refreshing to have some real positivity around the club for once. I think it's been very enjoyable, especially how last season ended. I think when Ross first came in, it was it was quite good. Everything was looking good. And then towards the end of the season, it kind of fizzled out, Derby defeat. But ever since we've come back from the summer, it's been... Derby pumping. Been, <laughs> yeah, I was at that game. I can agree with that. It was, to be fair. But um, now, where was it? Uh, yeah, so um, three clear. Well, three, three wins for the first time since 1974 is... It's just great. I think at the moment the team is looking really good. I think the three summer signings, out of all of them, I think Alex Kogic has been fantastic as well on mm. a free. I think he's probably already putting his name down to be one of the best signings of the summer. And I know that's a bit premature to say, but I think it has been just just a totally different change. I think we've been screaming out to get a holding midfielder. Of course, we all we all saw Josh Vila last season, who didn't quite do much in that role and I think <laughs> Mark Milligan filled in for a wee bit as well didn't really work out and it's, it's just kind of been finding that replacement from Marvin Bartley but I, I think at the moment it's, it's looking great yeah it's, it's it's time to be optimistic I'm not I'm not going to get carried away or anything mm-hmm. at the moment <laughs> just but, yet but I, th- I think as a Hibs fan I think we'd maybe be allowed to be a wee bit carried away at some point it's just quite nice to hear you actually talking quite optimistically because uh, long long time listeners to Energy Sport over the last year have just kind of 
gotten to know you is that pessimistic one on every on every Fallen podcast. off their chair as Struan's been uh, optimistic then about <laughs> Hibbs' performance. So the biggest shock of the year so far. There's been plenty plenty to talk about this year, but that's the, the biggest talking point. Uh, I suppose something that's been interesting to me is uh, what Hibbs have been doing tactically. Uh, can it for their 4-1 victory over Livingston, Hibbs have switched to a fresh system and managed to get the both out of both Nisbet and strike partner Christian Dodge. But they reverted to a 4-4-2 system against the United in that 1-0 win. Struan, what have you made about Jack Ross's kind of tactical awareness this season? Are we expecting him to carry on doing uh, more of the same this season going forward? Uh, I hope so. I, th- I think it's been really good because just, just the players on the pitch, you can see they can easily swap from a three at the back to a five at the back to go into the four four two. I think playing Newell in the midfield has been one of the best things that Jack Ross has done because he was signed to be a winger, but playing him in the middle beside um, Alex Kovic has just, has just been fantastic. And Daryl Horgan on the left. And of course... Mm. Josh Doig has come in and been really impressive. And I think I think Paul McGinn as well. I think he's been a very underrated signing at right back given David Gray and Lewis Stevenson for the past few years have basically been untouchable when they're mm-hmm. fit. And now it seems that both of them are going to be playing second fiddle. I think Martin Boyle, if he can stay fit, is probably going to be the main man of this team at times. And I think just getting Doig and Nisbet on form together could be very enjoyable. And I think, I said it at the time when Jack Ross got appointed, I never thought, he would come to Hibs after you know what he'd achieved in Scotland, gone to Sunderland. I just thought, right, he, he's going to the top. I wouldn't be surprised if he eventually goes to the Championship and then maybe gets a different job in the Premier League. So I think to have somebody of that quality, I think, has, has been fantastic for Hibs. It's all really coming up well for the for the boys at Easter Road. Uh, just speaking of Dundee United there, the Arabs have enjoyed a decent start to the season thus far, picking up a point against a decent St. Johnson side before defeating Motherwell, a team we'll get on to a bit later in the show. Uh, Sean, we spoke about United's chances of survival in our season preview podcast a couple of weeks ago and for a team that have been lacking uh, their main man in Lawrence Shankland for the last couple of matches, they've not looked too bad at all, have they? No, absolutely not. Um, I thought they put a pretty good performance against uh, Hibs. Luke Bolton had a really good game. He's on loan from Manchester City. He was giving Josh Doig a hard time of it. And I really thought that this squad was going to struggle if Shankland was to go and he's obviously not been playing over the, the first few weeks. So to be in the position that they are, and that was the first loss of the season obviously against Hibs on Tuesday, mm-hmm. I just think that it's credit to the job Mickey Mellon's done. He speaks really well, I think he knows that how big a club Dundee United are and he knows that the fans expect them to be playing um, good attacking football. So he seems to have got the players on board there. And if we can keep it up, maybe we won't have to worry about them being in the relegation battle that a lot of us tip them for. Uh, of course, you mentioned them there, uh, as did I, of course, because any time to talk about Shankland is a good time for me. Yeah. Uh, he's been one of the kind of biggest Willy Wonty stories of the league at the moment, whether he stays with the D United and can get a score in the league or whether he moves on perhaps down south. He's been linked with a move down there for what seems like ages now. Uh, seeing as how United have played without him in the last two games and success has kind of come their way, especially in that Motherwell game, could they perhaps be a bit better off selling the former United man and invest and reinvesting that money into the rest of their squad to try and uh, force a stay in the top flight for a while longer? I mean, I thought that um, United, as, as decent as United looked on Tuesday, they were still lacking that sort of clinical edge. And that's obviously what Lauren Shanklin brings if you look at his goal stats from the mm-hmm. past three, four years. Um, I, I think a player of that quality, if you can keep him, and that's absolutely fantastic. 
and as well it's probably going to be a reduced price this year considering everything that's going on mm-hmm. in the world of football so I think Shankland um, very very much bolsters our chances of staying in the division which has got to be the aim for Dundee United this season so I think keep him this year if he has a great season then his value's up again next summer to be fair, I'd like I'd like to see him uh, prove himself in the Scottish uh, Premiership because Absolutely. there's been a lot of talk about whether he'll make it or not. And the same could, the same was said for like say Kevin Nisbet before he moved to Hibs, and all, one of them's already shown that he can make it at this level. But it'd be nice, especially for my fancy team, if uh, if uh, Shanklin wanted to kind of get his shooting boots on and actually play <laughs> a game. So I'd I'd appreciate it if he managed to grab himself a few goals this season. Uh, so speaking of teams with in-demand strikers, I've been working on these segues just in case you <laughs> couldn't tell. Uh, Rangers have had the perfect start to this season. Uh, they've won all three of their games without conceding a single goal. Uh, Jamie, how impressed have you been with the inclusion of Leon Balogun in Rangers' backline this season? Has he already built on a solid defence with the likes of Conor Goldson and Borna Barisic already having put in big performances this season? Yeah, I think um, you know that kind of other centre-back... Partner, partner for Goldson has been something that Rangers have kind of been struggling with, or Steven Gerrard has kind of been struggling with. He's kind of chopped and changed between um, between Hollander and oh, who was the other boy? There was another one last season. Edmondson. Edmondson. That's it. Um, so yeah, you know, I think everybody watched the game against Aberdeen and thought, oh wow, this guy looks. Looks pretty good, and you know when this the starting lineup came out, and people said, "Oh, Balogun throwing in against Aberdeen for his debut," you know this could be interesting, and um, it's one of those where you could say, "Well, it could either make or break um, his kind of career," because mm. you know it, he's a he's a young guy, and um, you know it's like if it doesn't kind of if it didn't see had a shocker against Aberdeen, made a mistake or something then, you know, it can be quite hard to come back from something like that at a club with the stature of, of Rangers. So, you know, I think he deserves a lot of credit for the way he, um, he conducted himself in his debut. And then, obviously, two clean sheets to follow that in the consecutive 3 0 home wins against St. Mirren and St. Johnson. So, you can't ask for a better start for that. Three clean sheets and, and nine points out of nine as, a, as any player, but as a defender... You know, obviously, the, the three points is the main thing, but it's always, um, it's always very important very um ha- it makes you very happy mm-hmm. if you if you can keep a clean sheet as well so um yeah i think he's he's definitely built himself uh built himself a good position in there and uh, i think there would be quite a few questions asked there after just three games if uh, if he was dropped by steven gerrard now another thing that struck me about Balogun, sorry is just that um, Rangers too often, I think, over the last couple of seasons have just passed the ball safely between the mm-hmm. centre halves. Stephen Davis has collected it, it's went sideways, it's went sort of just to the full backs, it's all very safe. Balogun looks confident in striding out of defence and trying to break the lines. Joe Rebo's doing that in, in his midfield role now rather than being out, out wide. It seems to just, all the pieces seem to be working for Rangers a lot more this season. And if you think about those additions they've made in Kamar, Roof, and Cedric Itton, and the fact that Morello staying now looks far more likely than it did say a week or two ago, it's really, really put them in a strong position and the fact that Celtic won't be playing football and Rangers could be 11 points clear by the time Celtic kick a ball again, it's really starting to put uh, Rangers in a strong position and if they can make one more midfield addition, I think mm-hmm. another number eight to sort of bring an extra dynamic to that midfield because I do think Ryan Jack and Glenn Kamara are a bit too similar, if they can get that signing right then you might be tipping the balance towards uh, Rangers this year. I, it's it's interesting to consider how 
almost confident we were that it wouldn't be the case and Rangers they would push Celtic all the way but now yep. it's looking like they're really going to establish a solid lead over their title competitors uh, I completely agree with everything the pair of you have just said apart from when Jamie did say he's a young guy is he not a young guy he's 32 years old ah, I see he's young at heart though isn't he <laughs> he's young at heart <laughs> it, it certainly looked that way but I suppose him getting thrown in against uh, Aberdeen was a sensible option for Gerrard because he, Balogun will have played top level football most recently in the sense that he was competing in the championship with West Brom um, ages before uh, not not long before sorry uh, the Scottish Premiership restarted uh, Sean, Sean you actually jumped ahead of what I had in my notes here chatting I do apologise uh, Ruth and Itten joining and the Morelos situation uh, the question I have though if Morelos is still like, more likely to say than he has been in the last couple of weeks especially with that uh, rumour about Lille coming in for him uh, how do we think Steven Gerrard's going to manage that situation he's got three strikers that he obviously is keen to get goals out of and keen to get playing time but how do we see uh, the manager kind of handling that situation going forward it'll be an interesting one um, you've got, got to think about Jermaine Defoe coming back from injury of as well um, and I was if Kamar Roof's been brought in probably under the impression that he'll be Rangers starting striker once Morelos is out the door and now it looks like Morelos could stay. It's gonna. He really is gonna have to um, manage those egos well. But obviously, Gerard's aim will be um, ultimately to win the league this season. So it's interesting. I, I find Gerard has a tendency to put a lot of blame on the players. I think um, mm-hmm. quite often he'll sort of um, say the Rangers didn't step up to their level of performance, and he's got to come up with a way tactically to break down these teams who sit in against. Um, against Rangers and he looks so far to have done that so it's all about Gerard progressing as a manager as well he's still a young manager at this level Morelos staying you might have to find other roles for Roof I think Roof can play across the front three but then what happens to Hadji and Kent who've had very good starts Mm -hmm. to the season it's a good problem for Stephen Gerrard to have but it'll definitely test his man management Uh, Jamie and Stuart I take it you agree with what Sean said I'm not sure I've been too impressed with Hadji so far, to be perfectly honest. Um, certainly not against Aberdeen anyway, but other than that, yeah, absolutely spot on. Yeah, basically the same. Fantastic. Well, I, 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 things do really seem to be kind of coming up well on the blue side of Glasgow. I think it's going to be a really interesting title battle, especially with how much ground Celtic are going to have to make up in the next few weeks. Of course, they've not been playing football and won't play again this weekend. Uh, Why is that again? Is that again? Uh, we'll, we'll get we'll get on to that. We'll get, we'll get on to the explanation we'll in a wee while. <laughs> um, before we move on to the so the kind of poorer off teams, the worst off teams in the league season so far, wanted to bring up how good Ross County have been in their opening few games. I mean, a big win over Motherwell in their opening game, followed by a victory over Hamilton before a draw with Sean's beloved Kilmarnock on Wednesday night. Uh, it's been a real kind of change a change of pace for uh, Ross County. They've had a real change in fortune since the end of their season last year. Sean, you'll have seen them more recently as we spoke, as uh, they played Kelly midweek. How did they get on against Kelly? I mean, were you impressed that they were able to battle back to cl- uh, claim a point at Rugby Park? Um, I thought St. Johnson, uh, sorry, St. Johnson, Ross County um, looked decent. Um, first half, they were definitely the better side. Ross Draper was sort of running the show in midfield and ex-Kelly man Michael Gardine was given mm-hmm. the defence plenty of questions and they scored that goal. Kelly's defended a bit sloppy, they didn't really get out from the short corner quickly enough and uh, Draper heads home the goal. Kelly came out second half looking a lot better, uh, got the two goals, 
Killer were massively lacking creativity and um, Alan Power just decided that he was going to start breaking the lines which is, uh, isn't very much like him, he got a goal <laughs> and an assist so if he wants to keep up that up that would be fantastic um, and then they got, Ross County get the equaliser through a penalty, it's one of those ones where um, the uh, the player is quite close but Chris Burke's arm is in, in a natural position so it probably mm-hmm. is a penalty um, I don't think County were massively impressive but I don't think they necessarily showed that sort of steel especially in the second half of last season that they would get back into a game mm-hmm. like that so that's definitely something Stuart Kettlewell will take a lot of positives from and you can't really argue with seven points out of your first three games for a side like County. And Jamie, for a team that have con- that conceded 60 goals last season recording the worst goal difference in the division, surely you would think that two clean sheets in the opening three games is a sign of good things to come? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think they've probably been everybody's surprise package so far of mm-hmm. the season. Um, we spoke about it on the preview podcast and we said that me and Sean were having kind of a little bit of a debate about where their weakness was. I was trying to argue that they were weak all over the park and um, Sean was saying that they were kind of weaker defensively. And obviously you said that, yeah, they've conceded 60 goals last season and then uh, the fact that obviously they kept clean sheets in the first two games... Um, and you know, Mother, Motherwell and uh, Motherwell at home, I didn't fancy them for that game. Hamilton away, I didn't fancy them for that game. I thought they would do all right last night um, and managed to managed to um, get a point. Mm. But um, yeah, I mean, very impressed. And um, you know, I think for somebody like like Ross, some uh, a team like Ross kind of kind of skies the limit. You know, obviously we were we were kind of tipping them for to struggle and to be down there, but. You know, if they can kind of keep keep scoring goals and keep it relatively tight at the back, then uh, ah, I'm not sure you could you could write them off completely of a of pushing for a top six finish. I have to say that the Ross County defence dealt with Nicky Kabamba far better than <laughs> seven million pound Christopher Julian. I was waiting for it to be honest. Christopher Ayer. So yeah, I don't know if. Um, all that attention got to Nicky Kabamba's head, but um, yeah, he didn't quite have the same impact that he did at um, the BPSP Stadium Rugby Park on Sunday. The BP is that what it's called now? Is it <laughs> Billy Bowie's Special Project Stadium? <laughs> really rolls off the tongue that doesn't it? Affectionately coined uh, the Bernabeu, of course. Bernabeu. The Bernabeu. And um, it's nice to see Ross County. They're getting larger recognition, or more widespread recognition, as our Stuart Kettlewell has been outed as a complete doppelganger to David De Gea. Mm. It's nice to see the man, the keeper himself, was tweeting it out in a bit, a bit of shock. Uh, we'll move on from the good now to look at the bad and perhaps the ugly, depending on how you want to view them. There's nowhere we can really start other than Motherwell. Uh, I mean, last year's best of the rest team, they've picked up a solitary point from the first three matches, with each fixture being very winnable for Steve Robinson's side. Jamie, you were talking to me yesterday about you were ready to kind of give these boys some stick on the podcast today. What's gone wrong for them so far this season? I don't know. I've got no idea. Um, look, St- Stephen Robinson came out. I'm not sure if any of heard it, but he really laid into some of his players yesterday um, after the Livingston game. He gave a really strong post-match interview. And basically, to sum it up, he just said it wasn't good enough. He um he said they were his team were effectively playing with seven players every week. Um, I think Christopher Long w- it would be one of the players. He was um he was certainly hitting out at going by what I read on social media, and uh, he wanted eleven Alan Campbells in his team is what he said. So um Alan Campbell obviously the the captain, 
and he said that uh, if they, if Motherwell had 11 Alan Campbells on the pitch, they wouldn't be in the position they are currently in. Um, you said it yourself, three very winnable games, um, on paper anyway. Mm-hmm. Away to Ross County, I fancied them to to get a result there. At home to newly promoted Dungeon United, then at home to Livingston, who haven't started very well either. Um, Motherwell were obviously in front in the game twice? Yeah, they were 1-0. Yeah. yeah, twice in front and couldn't hold on to it. So I think for Stephen Robinson, that'll be the most disappointing thing. Obviously, they drew a blank against Ross County and Dundee United in front of goal. So the fact that they were in front um, in front twice and they couldn't get the three points will really anger him, I reckon. But really strong stuff from Robinson in his post-match interview. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's as good a wake-up call as you're ever going to get for those those Motherwell players. And, of course, one big absence for Motherwell just now is the fact that Liam Donnelly has been ruled out for two months with a knee injury. Yeah. Uh, with his absence, like how, big's a miss, how big a miss is he going to be? And are we expecting any sort of bounce back in the next couple of weeks, especially since uh, Motherwell's Europa League qualifying tie is just over the horizon in a few weeks' time. Is that to me again, sorry? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah look, you know, they're, they're a really tight-knit group and um, I think they, they were one of the kind of teams that last season they really did have a kind of um, nitty-gritty attitude and they were, they were a tight group, you know, it's simple as that. So, um, you know, whenever... Whenever you, I said it on, um, was that about Livingston or I can't remember. I said it about a team recently, and in, uh, in the group chat, and said that whenever players are missing, it can really mess up a system if you're so used to playing, um, playing in a system like that. So Donnelly's going to be a big mess. Although one more thing about Motherwell, they did do what I had been calling them out to do, and that was play for play two up top. Mm. They um, they started new signing Jordan White uh, alongside Christopher Long last night, and you know they scored two goals from it. So um, maybe that is the way to go forward. I don't know. Um, it seems like defensively they've they've not kept a clean sheet, conceded four goals in the first three games. So they, they were relatively solid last season defensively. So uh, I suppose it's more maybe, I don't know. They've, they've got problems all over the park because, as I say, they drew a blank in the first two games, but no clean sheets and uh, only scored in one out of the three games. So I don't know. There's problems all over the park for Motherwell, really. And um, Robinson's probably, you could say, this, this could be the biggest... Um, biggest kind of test for him in his Motherwell kind of managerial career mm-hmm. so far because he has had a very successful career at Motherwell so far so you know this is maybe the first real real blip for him absolutely I mean th- things aren't looking to get easier I mean they've got Hibs at Easter Road uh, this weekend but perhaps next weekend things might turn a wee bit better for them as they have Hamilton at home in the next two fixtures so there's there's chance there's chance for a wee bit of a turnaround before that uh, Europa League qualifier which in case anyone's wondering, it's they'll be playing one of Glen Torren or, oh, right. or HB Torshavn. And Torshavn are from? Somewhere in Europe, I'm guessing. The Faroe Islands, the, I oh, think. it's the Faroe Islands. I think, it, I think it is. I might be wrong, I'll look like an idiot if that's not where they're from, but I think it's the Faroe Islands would be my guess. I'll, I'll, I'll trust your judgement on that one, seeing as I know literally nothing about them. <laughs> Uh, parallel to Motherwell at the moment are Livingston, their opponents in Wednesday night's 2 all draw. Like Motherwell, they look to be targeting a solid top half finish after last season, but have only picked up one point from the first three matches as well. Struan, with a few a tricky few games coming up with Levy playing the likes of Rangers and Ross County in the next few weeks, are the club going to perhaps rue those chances that they've had to pick up points in their opening three fixtures? Yeah, I think definitely. I think the, the, the all means they've made an awful start at one point in three games is not it's not good enough to be honest I don't think 
And of course, they signed F.A. Ambrose as well, which is, I think that's one of those things that just kind of went under the radar. Mm-hmm. Of course, plenty of experience in Scottish football, but no, I, th- I think they do need to turn it around. I think they're probably already looking ahead to Ross County now. I think Rangers at the moment, I think, might just be too much to handle. But e- even even at home, I wasn't impressed. I, I watched them against Hibs, and just, I don't know, me personally, I, Kelly and Livy away, I, I, just the artificial pitches, it's always, I always think it's a tough place to go, but I think they just didn't look great at all, scoring off a penalty, I believe it was, so... Yeah, they'll definitely need to turn something around soon. And you just mentioned the penalty, and of course it was that man, Lyndon Dykes, that scored that he scored another one against Motherwell, and that's really been their only victory so far this season, is managing to keep a hold of the man who they have received uh, plenty of attention and plenty of interest in. Uh, how big is he going to be for the club this season if they manage to keep the striker here for another another season? I, I think it'll be huge. I think looking at that team, he's probably one of the only players at the moment who you can definitely say is a, is a goal threat and you'd, you'd probably worry about I think Alan Forrest is probably up there as well was, was it this summer he signed? Uh, yeah it was this summer he signed from, from AR and he got his first goal so it proven he's ready for this level just as yeah, Mark so. Kerr trained him to be <laughs> <laughs> could, could see a, wee, um, a new partnership developing there between Forrest and Dykes but I think if, if they can hold on to him I, th- I think it'll be massive because otherwise I don't, I don't fancy them, definitely. I think the, the Tony Macaroni may be in danger of becoming a championship stadium next the season. Spaghetti has. Spaghetti it's not much of a fortress without the uh, the fans, no, all, all seven of them. <laughs> big big turnouts. One, one of them has dropped off. Jack, talk to us about Alan Forrest, because I think a lot of people just talk about him as, oh, we all knew that James Forrest's little brother was it. Air or mm-hmm. playing in the lower divisions or whatever I, I, I assume he hates that and rightfully so and it looked to have sort of hit the ground running like you said he scored his first goal were you always confident that he would prove to be a sort of premiership level player and he would move on to do that because obviously he would never get the opportunity to do that with Air United oh thanks for that <laughs> uh, listen I think I think things are quite obviously a bit poor at Air just now and I think we are just kind of bringing in some young players to be able to put them on to a bigger stage in the Premiership or beyond with the like we've done the likes of Shankland and Forrest re- most recently and uh, Michael Rose at Coventry Rose, he, got, yeah. he got promoted up to Championship and there was talk of a bid from Leeds so we could see Michael Rose having gone from air to the Premier League within two seasons which would be fantastic and hopefully we get a bit of a fee from that but yeah. Alan Forrest he's been at air for a number of years now and has always been one of their one of our Kind of biggest threats attacking wise, he's he always kind of runs his socks, runs himself into the ground, uh, for the team, and it really is just quite. It's nice to see him up and running in the Premiership, and it just kind of does show that he's ready for this level, and he probably has been for at least a season, but he did stay, probably longer than he should, longer than he needed to. Anyway, he probably could have been playing in the Premiership last season, but he used that to get himself into a a decent team with um. Livingston, and I still do think that Livingston are a good team, and they do have a good group of players, and I think that they will kind of climb themselves back up the table eventually. But it's not gone their way so far. But I think with Alan Forrest in that team, and of course another former Air man in Nicky Devlin, he's there getting talked about as the next potential starting right back for Scotland. So just just a breeding ground for talent is Somerset Park. What can I say? Um, yeah, that's one way to put. It. <laughs> that was one way to put it, I suppose. No, but I think he is ready for the le- for this level, and I think he will kind of lead Livingston on to some victories in the future. But the kind of whole team just needs to turn themselves around at the moment. 
Uh, moving on from Livingston, finally, in terms of the, the kind of worst off teams in the league, we're just gonna, we're going to lump these two in together because I don't really want to spend too long on one or the other. Uh, seeing as they've caused Scottish football far too many problems over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Aberdeen and Celtic have um, had the First Minister call into question whether or not Scottish football should be postponed due to certain players' actions that have endangered not only themselves but their teammates and are beyond further during the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, as a result, Aberdeen have only played one game in the league so far, which of course was a 1-0 uh, loss to Rangers on the opening day, while Celtic missed the last set of fixtures due to volleyball and goalies' untimely trip to Spain. Uh, both teams will miss out on this weekend's set of fixtures, which coincidentally was when the two teams were due to play each other. Uh, Sean, what's been your take on the whole situation? How how do the FA react to Celtic and Aberdeen's clear and irresponsible breach of the rules? I think you've got to look at them separately. As much as the Aberdeen one is irresponsible and footballers are being privileged to actually do their job and play football in this moment in time, the fact that those Aberdeen players broke their protocols and went out after a loss to Rangers in the first time of the season, which seems a bit strange anyway, mm. was, um, was definitely poor on their part. But I reckon if you looked across the league, there would have been a fair few groups of players, maybe not that big, and maybe, um, maybe not sort of all in a crowded pub, but they would have gone out for something to eat or something to drink or been in groups anyway after their first game of the season. I think it's slightly unfortunate that they happen to be in an area where a cluster would break out um, in Aberdeen, but regardless of that, it still um, was unacceptable on the part of the Aberdeen players. Ball and ball and goal, on the other hand, it just defies belief. Yeah. I mean, in why go f to Spain for one day anyway in normal times what can you see for one day again why would you travel for one day during a pandemic and why would you not tell anyone that during a pandemic you went to another country and you're now trying to play football again just a matter of days later it's absolutely crazy Neil Lennon's rightfully fuming and it's really really hard to see him having a future in Scotland because I single handedly almost got the game cancelled again after just two weeks of action I mean, I, th I think I did uh, see one tweet about the situation that was making light of it, I suppose, and saying that you, you really wish this would have been the season that an Amazon or a Netflix picked up Celtic <laughs> for this season. Could you imagine uh, Lennoxton if he just walked back in the door after his wee trap and just the daggers that he would have been thrown? It, re it really is just an unbelievable situation. Like You don't even think it would have been... It, no one would have even gone that far. I mean, the Aberdeen players going out and... Can at a time where Aberdeen and themselves, like the city rather than the club, they were in a bit of a hardship with having to go back into lockdown and everything like that. But just the irresponsibility of it was just unbelievable from Bolingoli. I mean, for, as you say, what can you do for an overnight? It was an overnight stay in Spain for no real legitimate reason. So it, I think time will tell what actually happens to him and Celtic as a result because... Typically, when it comes to these things, the club tends to be punished and then they would go on to punish a player. So, time will tell what happens to the pair of them. But um, moving away from that side of things and looking at the football side of things more, uh, Aberdeen, as I said, they've only played the one game and looked really poor against Rangers. They, didn't, they just looked to offer little to nothing in terms of an attacking threat. And they kind of sat all right for most of the game, but they did allow Rangers to grow into the game after Ryan Kent scored the goal. Uh, Struan, do we see Aberdeen being able to bounce back from uh, 
kind of the situation and their kind of opening day performance as a whole, do you think they will end up climbing back up the league with time to end time, I suppose? I'm really not sure with Aberdeen because I, th- I think they've been very unlucky as well with injuries. Of course, Brian Edmondson has just picked up an injury now and he used mm-hmm. to be out for three to four months. He was supposedly coming in as the saviour. I think Curtis Main also picked up an injury and I think they've just been incredibly unfortunate without the pitch. But I think Aberdeen are always that team you can ju- you basically just assume, yeah, they'll probably third or fourth or you know, they'll be there or thereabouts. I, th- I think this season they'll really, really struggle. I, I don't think they'll be in a shout of relegation because I'm sure they'll recover their form but I wouldn't be surprised if they struggle to make the top half and just looking at the Celtic side of things I mean Sean you mentioned it earlier about the the real gap opening up between Celtic and the current title chasers and Rangers and Hibs I suppose you could count them in the equation as well you could Uh, definitely count them in (laughs) (laughs) how important will it be for Lennon's side to maintain a level of consistency once they are able to play football again in an effort to catch the likes of Rangers and Hibs I, th- I think it'll be absolutely huge. I think the fact that Rangers will most likely be eight points clear of them and Hibs before they um, <laughs> they play again, I think that's... Uh, this, this group of Celtic players, you know, they're, they're a group of winners. They can they can deal with pressure to an extent when it's been, it's been given to them. But I, th- I think this is going to be a very tough task. I think this is one of the biggest seasons in Celtic's history. And I think it, you, you could almost say, you know, one person already. And I'm sure if Celtic do go on to, to lose this season and Rangers break it, I'm sure it'll all come back to the volleyball and Yoli incident, but mm. I think Celtic will really need to improve. I, th- I think they need to make signs as well. I'm so surprised at the moment they've only got Barkas and today they just announced Ajeti. Ajeti, yeah. I th- That's I think an odd they, They've been linked with Shane Duffy of uh, Brighton as well, who I think mm. would be phenomenal because I, th- I think Celtic's defence yeah. is... Mm, absolutely. I personally don't really rate Julian defensively. I think he's a threat from set pieces, but I think at the back he's... I don't think he's that great. I don't think Christoph Iyer is going to be sticking around for much longer either. And I mean, Scott Brown, 35-year-old, is still going in ahead of Olivier and Cham. So I think they definitely need to make signings. But even even the signings that they are being linked to, the likes of Stephen Fletcher and Ajeti, I'm just, I'm not sure a striker is what they need. Given mm-hmm. I, I think Griffiths may be off, but given that they've already got Griffiths and um, Odson Edward up front, I don't know if they're necessarily going to need to bring in all these other strikers given the clear problems throughout the pitch. And I think it, you never really want to count out Celtic because obviously they're such a good team. They're yeah. strong everywhere. But I think it'll be a really, really tough task for them to, to make up the eight point. Bearing in mind as well, they've also got European football, which mm-hmm. I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if that's almost sacrificed extremely early. I wouldn't be surprised if the League Cup is thrown away as well by Lennon. I think the League is basically everything Celtic will be after this season. I think just I completely agree with you. I think um, especially the fact that this has all happened in the season that they would be battling for their tenth consecutive uh, league title. It's just come at the worst possible time for Celtic, and I think they really are going to need to knuckle down and get any and all problems shifted to one side so they can really focus on uh, getting their hands on that tenth league title in a row. It's a psychological thing. Just before you quickly move on, I, you know, we we speak about how are Celtic going to be able to kind of hit the ground running because you know you're you're in a stage where now they, they can't really afford any slip-ups no. and um you know I, I would love to have seen an old firm in september say um but you know that that pesky old random fixture generator you know just <laughs> it's just bad luck computer. obviously um didn't allow it so uh, you know 17th of october we need to wait until the till the first old firm of the season. I would have liked to have seen it four weeks earlier 
and if Rangers still had a had a gap over um over Celtic, then obviously the first old firm is at Parkhead, but it would have been a, a very interesting game nevertheless if Rangers went into that with say a, a three or four point advantage. But uh, obviously yeah, we need to wait until October. So really interesting to see what Celtic do tactically as well when they come back because the the three five two was the catalyst to, to their comfortable title win last season and they've come back this year with a, a back four partly because their centre half options they are depleted Simonovic is gone um, not that he's a fantastic player but he was another option to, mm-hmm. to, to play there and I think Celtic looked decent in the Hamilton game I thought they created quite a lot but Hamilton defensively really didn't look good and then at Rugby Park last week I mean they just weren't creative at all I think um, I read that it was Celtic's lowest XG numbers that they've posted since records began. Mm-hmm. And yes, that's partly due to the immaculate execution of a low block by Alex Dyer's side, but it also speaks volumes of that Celtic couldn't break down a, that Kilmarnock side at all and they need mm-hmm. to find more creativity. Scott Brown in games like that, is he really necessary when you're looking to break teams down? Scott Brown does what he does very well, but... And that situation would sort of McGregor and then Cham sitting with Christie in front and then the two strikers, whether that be, obviously it'd be Edward, but Ajeti or Griffiths. Um, and Kamala's looked fairly decent as well. Mm. So seeing what Celtic do tactically come back, obviously Neil Lennon's got this time to think. And I'd expect to see a change because they really need to make sure that that gap doesn't widen and doesn't become a complete chasm between the two sides. I think Yeah, they, they, oh, they had the, the lowest number of... Um, shots on target from inside the box or something or shots from inside the box that weekend only St Mirren had lower um, and that was obviously they were they were playing at Ibrox. I think St Mirren had one and I think Celtic had two shots from inside the box or something so Kilmarnock were excellent at um, restricting Celtic to, to kind of long range efforts I think Celtic were lucky to even get a draw out of that game truth be told as well mm. I think it was a bit of a momentum free kick I think um what what I really kind of resonate with what Sean said is the fact that if they really do want to be this team that can win ten league titles in a row and start potentially making a campaign for challenging in Europe at least past the group stages potentially they can't just have one game plan. I think I think they really need to be able to diversify and have the tactical awareness to have a plan B or a plan C depending on the situation that they find themselves in. But I suppose it's just going to be a matter of waiting until we see Celtic play again, which isn't going to be until next weekend at the earliest. Um, That brings us mostly up to date with how things stand in the Scottish Premiership, and we'll chat about this weekend's upcoming action early next week when we come back with another episode. Before we go, we'll take a quick look over what else has been happening in football and talking about the European fixtures here. I'll be mentioned at the very start of today's show uh, as Wolves were dramatically dumped out of the Europa League late in the game after missing a penalty, with five-time winners of the competition, Sevilla advancing to the semi-final instead. Uh, Struan, with no European football at the Molyneux next season, can we almost can it anticipate Wolves to build on their successes over the last two seasons and perhaps break into the top six or beyond? Uh, yeah, I, I think not having European football could definitely be seen as a bonus to Wolves. They can properly focus on the league. I wouldn't be surprised if they, they do go all up for an FA Cup or a League Cup as well. I think that side... We desperately love a trophy for everything they've been mm-hmm. working on. I think without the European football, though, it may may be difficult to attract new players. You know, I, I, every every time Wolves make a sign, and you always kind of think, "Oh, I think I've heard of him before," and they they just come into that system and, and play really well. But I think another problem would be holding on to players. You've seen Juventus have been linked with a big move for Raúl Jiménez, who in many ways would probably be irreplaceable for that team. Adama Traoré has been attracting an, an interest, basically 
every football team. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know why you wouldn't want somebody like that in your team. And I think Ruben Neves is another one. So I think not having the European football, not just for the attractiveness, but also the extra revenue it'll bring in, I think they will struggle to improve. But I, I do think that side at the moment have a very strong chance of finishing in the top six. But it's it's, it's very difficult because you've seen Tottenham are going to be improving with Hoybier. Arsenal are, seem to be making a few signings as well. They've been linked with different people sitting in Liverpool are miles clear of anybody else in the league. Chelsea have been buying some very, very talented players as well. So I think I think that battle for the top six, seven is going to be very difficult. So I wouldn't be surprised if they do kind of look at an FA Cup or a League Cup and go for that instead. I suppose you, you make that argument, but we saw it this season. I mean, Leicester managed to break up the top six and kind of put Arsenal down into, I think it was eighth or, eighth or ninth yeah, once they finished. They finished. So, I mean, it's certainly a possibility and they can look at teams like Leicester that have done it this season and have that as inspiration. And I think that, to be honest, they'll be able to keep on to... I think they'll keep on to Adama Traore because not only would a club have to pay the fee for him, but they'd have to pay a fee for a season's long supply of Johnson's baby oil as well. Because I think that that just comes with the comes with the signing at the moment. I, I love that. But I think that's just fantastic. I've never I've seen anything like that. Never heard or so seen anything of, of the other day. I remember I was explaining it to my mum the other day when he was playing, and she was like, "Oh, what a clever idea that is! Why has nobody thought of doing that in the past?" And I was like, "Well, actually, yeah, it's quite a smart idea." Yeah. Did, did anyone see the uh, the commentary, the foreign commentary of the guy uh, from that game <laughs> when Adama Traore went in his, the run that got in the penalty? The car noise. And he just the commentator just started making Formula One car noises. When he was on the move, I thought that was fantastic viewing. I think as as a defender in the Premier League, I think you look at the the fantastic, like, you know, so much talent in the Premier League at the top. And I think if I was a fullback or a centre half, I think Trower would be one of the players I'd be most scared about because if, if he gets past you, you just can't catch him. Because it's not it's his speed, it's his intelligence as well. Like he knows exactly yep. what he needs to do to be able to get past a player, and he does so nine times out of ten quite simply. So, I think. With him, with his partnership and Jimenez as well, they are. Um, they just know where each other are. All the, the two time. of them, they've it's almost telepathic at points. So I think the two of them can build on a really successful season together, and kind of go the whole way, um, as a as a kind of partnership next season. Because I mean, personally, I didn't see the partnership really flourish until after Traore's performance. I get in the three two game against City, and then they started building on it from there. But that's just as I viewed it, I suppose. I think his end product has always kind of been that questionable mm. at Villa and at, at um, Middlesbrough, but and then even last season coming at Wolves when he yep. played quite a few games as a fullback ahead of Matt Doherty. But this season, I think his end product has improved hugely, and I think that's been he's just been one of the standout players in the Premier League. Just fantastic young talent to watch. Well, I think all all that he'll be thinking about just now is a bit of a break after Wolves' three hundred and eighty-two day long season came to an end. <laughs> Uh, moving over to the other European competition Atalanta were also dropped out of the Champions League after PS, uh, Paris Saint-Germain they scored two goals in stoppage time with former Stoke City man Eric Tupo-Moting getting the winner um, mm. and they advanced to the semi-finals for only the second time in the club's history uh, Jamie, could you see this potentially being PSG's year to win the competition? I mean, they've got some tough competition ahead of them they're facing either uh, RB Leipzig or Atletico Madrid in the semi-final and we go on to face one of Barcelona, Manchester City or Bayern Munich in the final should they make it that far. Far, sorry. Uh, but with the likes of Mbappe coming back into the fray earlier than anticipated, uh, do they stand in with a real chance of getting that uh, elusive European Cup? Yeah, of course they do. Um, you know, look, they're, they're 
got a 25% chance now, considering they're in the semi-finals. So, um, yeah, they've got as good a chance as anybody. I, I fancy them to be either Atletico or, or Leipzig and um, book their slot in the final. So, uh, then obviously it's a one-off game, a 90-minute game. So, yeah, I think they've got every chance. Um, time will tell. I think Mbappe coming back, obviously, is huge. You saw his impact as, uh, as soon as he came on. Yeah, I can't remember who it was. It's Sarabia. It was um, mm. McManaman said that, you know, he, he came on and did more in 20 seconds or something than Sarabia did in the in the hour so that was uh, his way of telling him that he was not a fan of Sarabia no, so um, not the biggest fan though no you know they're, they're they're a hugely talented um, talented team but uh, I've got my doubts on uh, how kind of together they are you know yeah. I think you almost saw that last night Atlanta you know Atlanta really should have gone through shouldn't they I wasn't that impressed with PSG and I think you saw kind of a bit more of a team if you like, like Atalanta, mm-hmm. I thought they just fought a bit harder for each other, and you know they nearly got over the line. They should have got over the line, but it shows that PSG, with all that talent, Atlanta's kind of just tight knit group almost managed to outfox them. Um, and you know, nine times out of ten, when you go one nil up, or sorry, when you are one nil up, going into stoppage time, you win the game and go through. So mm-hmm. they were unlucky, but. You know, fair play to PSG, I suppose, and fair play to the match winner, Trooper Moting, who was in the right place at the right time and steals all the headlines. And doing, he, uh, doing exactly he, what Mark Hughes taught him. Yeah, he proved he's proved it on the uh, on the wet and windy night at Stoke. Now he's proved it in the Champions League. So fair play to him. So he's really Are we talking it? about the man who would have won the Ballon d'Or had it not been cancelled. Yeah. <laughs> He's really done it at the hardest level. I mean, that that, that is the old adage with the wet, cold night in Stoke. People say about Neymar, you know, can he do it on a windy night at Stoke? And, you know, Trooper Moting's done both now. So, I mean, I would have Trooper Moting on the starting line-up ahead of Neymar <laughs> now. Based on his performance last night, anyway. I thought Neymar was rubbish. <laughs> there we go. That, that That's just the most telling thing of the European ties, that Trooper Moting will lead them to success, no matter what the competition is. <laughs> Did you see that tweet that said that that, that relegated Stoke squad of 17-18 had a player that has played in the Champions League semi-finals from 05, 07, 08, 09, 10, 11, 13, 15, 16, 19, 20. It's absolutely crazy. Squad's just full of people who will be reaching the last four of the European Cup. It's mad. So if you played in that team, you've you've got a good chance of going forward, realistically. That's mad. I I didn't realise there were that, that many... Winners in that squad. I've actually got a list here on Twitter if you want it. Oh, go on, give us a list. So uh, we've got Glenn Johnson. Yep. 2005, Peter Crouch. Mm -hmm. 2007, Darren Fletcher. 2008 and 2009 and 2011. Uh, Eric Boyan, former Barcelona player. Uh, Jderan Shakiri, who'd done it with Bayern Munich before he then again did it with Liverpool. Mm -hmm. 2015 and 16, Jesse, the Mm. the Real Madrid boy, who just never. Made it, and then Shakiri again, 2019, and now Chupamoting for 2020 could be that, <laughs> could be the final piece of the puzzle, which is pretty incredible. Wow. Have you ever seen uh, Jesse's rap video? <laughs> he's got get himself a wee music career on the side. Is it, no one don't want football to. these days. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I saw it like back in the day, and I've never been so unhappy with uh, reggaeton music in my life. It just wasn't very. Well, it wasn't the best. We'll say that. You're not selling it to me. I'm not. I'm not no, exactly no, wanting no. to go and look it up and watch it now. I'll, so. I'll, I'll, I I'll find a might. link and put it in the chat just in case you fancy it. But I'll, I'll give you fair warning before you do. He's actually at PSG still. He was just on loan at Sporting this past season, Jesse. So 
he's yeah. It's not gone perfectly well for him, but he's still he's still got time in his career to make something of himself, I suppose. Only twenty seven, he's got time. He's no finished. He's <laughs> no finished. <laughs> uh, finally, we've got a bit of transfer news are uh, coming from this morning as Blaise Matuidi has become the first World Cup winner to make the move to the MLS, uh, joining his former teammate David Beckham's new franchise as Inter Miami. I've just realised that that statement's completely wrong, and that came from David Beckham's Instagram. That is completely wrong. I don't know what David Beckham has been thinking, but anyway, yeah, that seemed a weird one. That is, is David Villa or something? Not da- David Villa, yeah. Schweinsteiger as well. Pier- Pirlo, Pirlo, Thierry Henry, Lampard. You know, he'll never no. won a World Cup, did he? Well, David Beckham should have done his research before that Instagram caption, and that's, the same that's could have been a said shocker. Wow, that, that, that's no right. That's oh. questionable <laughs> in the best of times. Uh, either way, the 34-year-old has had a trophy-laden career thus far and will be hoping to help his new club get amongst the challengers for the MLS Championship this season. Sean, with more and more high-profile players making the move to the US, could there be scope for the MLS to become one of the top leagues in, say, the next 10 years or so? Um, I don't know. I think there's a focus on European football probably always sort of reigns supreme. Mm-hmm. But... Um, David Beckham's investment in Miami will be huge. Obviously, he's, a, he's not even just a big footballing star, he's a massive celebrity in pop culture, so um, anything he does will always get eyes on it. Um, the main thing, I think, to take away is that we're now going to see a Blaise Matuidi lewis Morgan partnership, which is something oh, I've always dreamed of, yes. personally. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there's a, a few Scottish players kicking about in the MLS, which is nice to see from our perspective. And the more and more players that make that those big moves, more eyes will get on it. But I do think um, we'll still be focused on European football a bit more than than soccer. Than, than the old soccer. Uh, well, that brings an end to this episode of the Football Roundup, the first of the 2020-2021 season. That That is just going to be a mouthful throughout the, throughout the year. They meant the 2020s, that. and uh, it's a bit, bit, of a, bit painful to get through. Uh, thanks very much for joining us regardless over the next few weeks we'll be getting back into a bit more of a structure here on Energy Sport with uh, this show going out earlier in the week while Sean's own show Extra Time will be coming out later in the week as the weeks go on Uh, if you listen to this make sure to subscribe to whatever you get Energy Sport on your podcast and drop us a follow over on Twitter at Energy Sport so you can keep up to date with any and all sports content coming out from our team of writers if you've got anything you want us to talk about in the next couple of days on the, on our next week's show, uh, drop us a tweet at the same account. Uh, a massive thank you to Stu and Jamie and Sean for joining me today on the debut episode of the new season. My name is Jack Donnelly. This has been the Football Roundup. Thank you very much for listening and we will see you next time. <laughs>